This message comes from NPR sponsor Comcast Business. Is it possible to get business internet you can really rely on? It is with 99.9% network reliability from Comcast Business. Powering possibilities. You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Today, we are talking about the air we breathe and how to make sure it's clean and healthy. It's reporting done by our colleagues, climate reporters, Rebecca Hersher. Hey, Emily. Hey, and Shama Bidram, who is making her shortwave debut. Welcome to the show. Hi, so happy to be here. We're so happy you're here. Uh, thank you both. Rebecca and Shama, you've been doing some reporting about air pollution at a really important time. Wildfire smoke, uh, people across the U.S. have been dealing with a lot of that this spring. Clean air is not something we should take for granted. Yeah, you know, it. It can be easy to forget about air pollution, not so much when the air is full of wildfire smoke, but, you know, the rest of the time you can't see most of the pollution in the air. It's invisible, but it's really dangerous. It is bad for our health. It is bad for our quality of life. It's bad for the length of our lives. It shortens them. And so Shema and I have been doing some reporting about a new NASA satellite that hopefully will make the air in the U.S. cleaner for everyone. Nice. Okay. So what's this satellite doing? It's basically sitting over the U.S. taking measurements of a few different kinds of air pollution. And it's making those measurements all the time, every hour, every day across the U.S. And that's a level of information that we've just never had before. And hopefully all that new information spurs action to clean up the air. So today on the show, whether a new satellite promising a high-level view of air pollution in the U.S. could really help clean up the air in the most polluted neighborhoods. I'm Emily Kwong, and you're listening to Shortwave from NPR. This message is brought to you by Apple Pay. Fussing with plastic cards should be a thing of the past. Instead, pay the Apple way. Apple Pay is easy, secure, and built into iPhone. All you have to do is set it up. Just add a card in the Wallet app, and you're good to go. This message comes from EarthX. The EarthX 2024 Environmental and Sustainability Congress of Conferences is happening in April and brings together all sides with one important mission, protect the planet. Go to earthx.org to register. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics, with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. So, Rebecca and Shema, you wanted to look at the most polluted parts of the U.S. Mm -hmm. Shema, first, what do we know about who is most exposed to air pollution in this country? So our overall air quality has gotten better than it was 50 years ago, but some things haven't changed. Throughout the country, the same places that were most polluted decades ago are still the most polluted today. And these are often working-class neighborhoods and places where people of color live. You don't typically see poor air quality in rich white communities. So this is a persistent environmental justice problem. And we visited a neighborhood where residents have been fighting for clean air for decades. It's called Curtis Bay, and it's in Baltimore, Maryland. Um. Uh, That's Curtis Bay. Yeah, yeah, no, truly. Um, The the sound of a truck is Curtis Bay. Yeah, so Curtis Bay sits in an industrial area. It's right by the harbor. You have these giant trucks and freight trains constantly coming by. But Mm. the single biggest industry in this neighborhood is the coal export terminal. 
coal export terminal, that has to be like a loading place for coal. Are they putting it on ships? Yeah. um, A coal terminal is basically a place where massive piles of coal wait to be shipped to their next location. The piles are uncovered. They're huge and they can be several stories tall. Mm -hmm. And in Baltimore, the coal arrives on trains also uncovered, which means that coal dust blows everywhere from the pile, from the train. And on the day we visited Curtis Bay, it was raining. And one resident we spoke to, David Jones, he was actually relieved at the rain. I mean, the only good part about today with the rain is it's going to wash some of this coal away. David lives directly across the street from the coal terminal. From his living room, he can actually see these massive piles of coal. Really? Wow. That doesn't sound like a great view. I mean, and the dust from all the coal, how does it affect his health? Yeah, all that coal dust I mentioned really does affect his life. It gets into his home and into his lungs. Um, You wake up in the morning, you go in the bathroom and you go to spit up because your throat hurts. And you can see black particulates in your spit. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not good. And Rebecca, you were on this reporting trip. What did you see? Yeah, I saw this dust, this city dust. It really was everywhere in this neighborhood. One thing that David pointed out when we were walking through the neighborhood is uh, that the white vinyl siding on his home and on other homes is gray because it's just coated with this stuff. And he says he dusts his home almost daily. Sometimes he'll wash his pots and pans after taking them out of the cabinet, this is what he told us, before he uses them, because they're covered in dust. And the dust also keeps him from enjoying the outdoors, going outside. On beautiful days, he keeps his windows shut. You know, leaving my um, windows open, it's it's kind of a catch-22. It's like, oh, I want to enjoy the fresh air, but I don't want to feel like I'm sick in the morning. That's really tough. It's clearly impacting his life a lot. So what is the solution to all of this? Like, what can be done so David and his neighbors don't have to live with this air pollution? Well, Curtis Bay residents have been trying to get environmental regulators to crack down on this pollution for decades. Uh, They've tried Mm. to reduce the truck traffic, for example, and and cover the coal so the dust doesn't blow around everywhere. They did actually successfully block a plan to build a new waste incinerator in the neighborhood, which would have meant even more air pollution. Which is all to say that this community is fighting really hard for clean air. Yeah, and their number one tool in that fight is data. You know, data that confirms that the air is polluted and that confirms what is in the air. You know, is it soot from coal? Is it smaller particulate matter from tailpipes from cars and trucks? Is it gases from heavy equipment engines? How much pollution is there and where is it? That is their ammunition. Right, to quantify the problem. So mm-hmm. so where do they get that ammunition right now? Well, the sources of information are kind of patchwork right now. There aren't very many official government air monitors, not enough to see really granular, street-by-street level information about pollution. So the neighborhood has been working with researchers to get more data. And we talked with one of the scientists, Matthew Alberg. He's a graduate student at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, And he actually helped install multiple air monitors in the neighborhood, in Curtis Bay. Yeah, so I I come out here three, two to four times a week, probably. Um, I have a ladder in my car right now um, to go up on the roof um, and just do some maintenance on the monitors. Nice. So these monitors are measuring air pollution all the time in Curtis Bay. 
Exactly. And it's really helpful. It gives residents more information about what they're being exposed to. But here's the problem. Monitoring air pollution like this is very labor-intensive. It takes a lot of time. And you can imagine Mm -hmm. there aren't enough monitors to know what's happening in every single neighborhood all over the U.S. All the places like Curtis Bay spread out in cities and rural areas all across the country. Like, setting up monitors one at a time like this is never going to be enough. And that's where this new NASA satellite Mm. can really help. Right, because then you get that big picture view. Because it will measure Mm -hmm. air pollution everywhere all the time from space. Exactly. Scientists who study this hope that the new information from the satellite will help illuminate air pollution disparities. It basically confirms the persistent, dangerous air pollution that residents have been complaining about for years. And it also takes off some of the pressure from those monitors that are on the ground. And that could be a big Mm -hmm. step forward for places like Curtis Bay, which have unfair amounts of air pollution from coal and also oil and gas and diesel from all those trucks. Hmm. I really get that. Yeah. But just to ask, would a satellite really be an ultimate fix? Like, is it that simple that you just measure the pollution and then the regulators and the companies are like, oh, now we see it. We'll stop. We promise. <laughs> no, clearly not. We don't solve pollution by measuring it. We talked to a scientist named Susan Annenberg, who you just heard, about this. She runs the Climate and Health Institute at George Washington University. Yeah, she told us that measuring the pollution, it's really just the first step. The next step is for the Environmental Protection Agency and its state counterparts to figure out how to use that data to crack down on air pollution. And while having more information can be empowering for people like David from Curtis Bay, who are advocating for cleaner air every day for themselves, Susan really stresses that this is not something that people should have to fight for in the U.S. We can't put the responsibility on individuals to take action. This is the responsibility of governments. True in theory. But uh, is it likely to happen that the government would respond to new data and what people like David and Curtis Bay have been saying for years and actually change policies to make the air cleaner. Maybe. I mean, that's certainly the hope. Um, This is going to be the first time that the government has so much air pollution data at its fingertips. And that'll be hard to ignore. That's true. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. right. And remember, this is a government satellite built with taxpayer dollars. So there's clearly an investment Mm -hmm. on behalf of the public. So in theory, the government should want to use that data it's collecting in order to make the air cleaner for everyone. Yeah. On the other hand, though, the EPA is not required to use this data when it's deciding how to regulate air pollution. So in order to really change things, the people who write environmental regulations and enforce them would need to decide to use this information and would need to prioritize the most polluted neighborhoods. Now, it's too soon to know whether that will happen, but the EPA says they do intend to use the data that way. An agency spokesperson told us that, quote, the first step toward reducing pollution is knowing where it is and what the sources are, and that the satellite represents a, quote, big step forward for reducing air pollution in disproportionately burdened neighborhoods. Yeah, I I see that. So going back to the satellite, is it totally a been running and sending info back to Earth? It's early, early days. So the satellite is just booting up now. It was launched in the spring. It takes a couple months to turn on the instruments and test them, which I didn't know. Uh, It just takes a while. So probably data will start flowing in the coming weeks, and then we will see how it's used. Yeah, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on what happens. Rebecca Hersher, uh, Shema Byram, thank you for your reporting on this. Thanks. Thank you. This episode was produced by Burley McCoy 
and edited by our managing producer, Rebecca Ramirez. It was fact-checked by Rebecca Hersher and Shayma Byram. The audio engineer was Patrick Murray. Beth Donovan is our Senior Director of Programming, and Anya Grundman is our Senior Vice President of Programming. I'm Shema Baida. And I'm Rebecca Hersher. Thanks for listening to Shortwave from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com NPR. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.